1: So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you small-town dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.
2: And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry.
3: And I'm Mary Beth.
2: In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child.
3: This week, our guest is Jonathan Barkan. He is the creator and director of the upcoming documentary, Mental Health and Horror. Welcome to the show.
4: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's, I mean... It's, it's weird for me to be a, a special guest on here because I
2: know both of you and I adore both of you. <laughs> I mean, that's the joy of this exactly. kind of thing, you know? I mean, it, it, it's, it it's like two birds with one stone. We get yeah. to like talk about your awesome documentary and also just sort of shoot the shit. I mean, how, yeah. how great that's is that? That's kind of why we did this it's, podcast. It's <laughs> It's pretty great. Yeah, it's
3: pretty great. (laughs)
2: Um, So before we do talk about your documentary, though, we like to take it all the way back to the beginning. How did you get introduced to horror? Oh, that's an interesting one,
4: uh, because it was something that I kind of fell into myself from a very young age. Um, What happened was when I was very young, I would say about four, maybe five years old at the most, my sister was diagnosed with what they thought was terminal brain cancer. Oh, Um, jeez. uh, but she, you know, she's still around today. So, you know, spoiler alert. But
1: mental um, <laughs> um, <well>, health. Sorry.
4: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I think that's going to become our thing through the years. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. So for you know a year and a half, two years, my sister was in and out of the hospital. A lot of treatments, uh, chemotherapy, radiation, surgeries. Uh, so when I would visit her. I would often see her, you know, laying in the hospital bed, bandaged up like the mummy, tubes going in and out of her, like, you know, like something you see out of a sci-fi horror film. And this was before the days when the they were able to wheel in a TV on a stand and have a, you know, a Nintendo or Super Nintendo hooked up mm-hmm. uh, and you could play it from your bed. You actually had to be wheeled into the game room and to oh, yeah. and to kind of paint you a picture of the game room it's your you know standard big room with uh tables lining three walls and TVs and video games and everything all around and the walls themselves had like a smiling sun and singing clouds and happy trees that kind of a thing and then you look around and all of the kids that are at these uh video game consoles are, you know, are children who are going through some of the most horrible things imaginable. So they are amputees. They Mm. are in wheelchairs with oxygen tanks. They have the tubes running in and out of them, even as they're sitting there, they are all wrapped up. I remember, uh, you know, my dad told me a story that one time he came to grab me from that room and he watched i was sitting next to a you know a young young child who was contorted and obviously the, po- the people listening won't be able to see it but you'll be able to see just like kind of like this you know mm. hands and arms curled up against their chest and holding the controller like this but having trouble maneuvering and they were playing super mario and they could not get past a, a jump a hole in the in the level and so i you know asked if I could take the controller, get them over it. And I did. I took it, jumped over, and immediately handed the controller back. And that's one of the memories that my dad has of me as a young, young boy. Wow. And so I didn't know it at the time. But in a weird way, I was living in my own version of Todd Browning's Freaks, uh, mm. where here are all these children who are physically not they they were not normal by society's definition right. of what a normal body looks like and they were some of the most amazing kids out there they were so strong and so brave and so full of life even as many of them were were genuinely dying right it wasn't even a case of they were you know they they might be able to make it out some of them were just the the clock was ticking yeah um and so while I was there, I was uh, I was kind of exposed to games like Castlevania and mm. Friday the 13th and A Nightmare mm-hmm. on Elm Street. And also because of the situation with my sister, my dad as a doctor was traveling the world giving lectures and my mom was often with her. So I was very often left to my own devices. Mm. So even at a young age, I kind of had to learn how to take care of myself and also to occupy my mind so you know gaming was definitely one of those things uh you know in the later years of my single digit age I was getting into stuff like the seventh guest um the seventh guest yeah uh and I was doing uh, there were a lot of sleepovers at friend's house friend's houses because my parents couldn't leave me home alone so i would very often go to go to people and you know one of them was with a a kid who was a little bit older than me and he would stay up late and get me to stay up late and we would watch tales uh excuse me tales from the crypt Mm -hmm. and um and we would read ec comics and and there was one that stuck with me and i keep trying to find which Issue it was from and and listeners, if you can identify this, then I will love you forever. But it was this tale of these of these kids who were um, super excited to see a metal band, and they they go to the show, they get backstage, uh, they drink some you know punch or something like that. It was probably beer, and I was just young and decided it was
1: punch, <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> uh,
4: and they passed out, and when they woke up, they were strung upside down and bound, and there were spigots. In their jugular, because the band, they were actually vampires, and they were, like, draining blood from the spigots in the jugulars to get blood that they could drink. And for some reason, it, it haunted me, and, like, I was terrified. And so I had this love-hate relationship with horror because I hated being scared, but I kept coming back to it because I kept thinking of what my sister was going through and what all these kids were going through and that there wasn't something that I could see. It was a faceless Mm. entity that was doing so much damage and so much pain. And by getting into horror, I was able to kind of give it a face to give it a a visual representation but at the same time i also started in a weird way to empathize with a lot of you know quote-unquote villains because a lot of them were visually different they were Mm. either disabled or they were Mm -hmm. monstrous quote-unquote and that was what i was seeing in these kids so it was this very interesting uh, experience where I, I understood and empathized with villains, even if I didn't forgive them for what they were doing. Right. So, yeah, exposure to horror came about because uh, I needed something to make sense of the world that I was in.
2: Wow. Wow.
0: Holy shit. That's
1: sorry. That's... No. Oh, my no. God. No. <laughs>
4: No, talk about a buzzkill. No, that's right an
0: amazing story, though. <laughs> yeah, no, and that your is. sister's okay. Spoiler
4: alert: I really She's heard. yep. Spoiler alert: She's still around. Um, it it wasn't the the only hardship that she went through, but she's still here. And as other hardships came up, I was a different person, and I and I was able to stand up for my own needs because as a young boy, when something like that happens, obviously I be. I've become kind of second fiddle mm-hmm. and that's, t- and it's totally understandable. Mm-hmm. You know, th- I, I understand why it had to happen. I'm still dealing with a lot of the, the trauma and the pain that that causes while recognizing that it's, it's not, it's not that it's not equal to what my sister went through, but it's very different. Right? Right. Yeah. So I have to, I have to, constantly remind myself of that and acknowledge that while still kind of forgiving myself and also demanding the respect and attention that is that that i should be naturally given yeah Mm -hmm. it's 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 this it's this weird journey that is that i'm still growing and still learning to this day
3: oh yeah Mm -hmm. that's that's a lot i have it's not a similar thing but i had a a brother that had more like a lot of me- like mental health needs and so i had a similar mm-hmm. situation of like trying to figure out that whole like not blaming your parents but also needing to figure out what yeah. you need yeah it's it's yeah. it's a long journey to figure that out because even when you're a kid it mm-hmm. still affects you now i guess it affects me now as an adult yeah so oh yeah i've
4: i you know my wife and i have had plenty of conversations about the the long-lasting effects of such a such an upbringing and such a childhood, and it was it was completely out of anyone's hands. Like I'm not sitting here blaming anyone yeah. for the lot that we were the the the, the hand that we were dealt. Um, but as I said, you know, I, I can I can say that I don't blame anyone while still grieving and and mourning the the childhood that i didn't have and how it affected my relationship with my with my sister and with my parents uh and what it could have been had it been different yeah you know who knows but all i know is that because of that i am where i am today and so i i can't look at it as all bad because i i kind of am really okay with with what I'm doing and and the kind of journey that life has led me on,
3: yeah, so you know the journey that life has led you on is into the horror world, so what were some of the yeah. first <laughs> what were some of the first horror movies you remember watching as a kid? I know that you played a lot of video games, what were some of the movies that you really remember?
4: Yeah. My very first movie memory was I was flipping through channels and I landed on it was HBO or, you know, Cinemax, something like that. And there was this uh, brunette mulleted nerdy boy. Uh, laying on a waterbed, and he feels something, and he turns around and pulls <laughs> it off and there is this beautiful naked woman inside of his waterbed, and he's so delighted, and it's very picturesque. And suddenly, Freddy Krueger bursts through the waterbed, he Nightmare sure on Elm Street four, and pulls Joey right under and seals that. When my mom came in and saw me watching it, she ran over, grabbed the remote, and was like, "No, absolutely <laughs> How about not this for a wet dream." <laughs> exactly yeah and um but what's interesting is my mom hated me watching uh halloween friday the 13th nightmare on street she couldn't stand it but she loved watching the alien films with me because she adored sigourney weaver (laughs) so she was like as long as i like something we can do this
3: (laughs) yeah that's not a terrible that's not a terrible compromise i mean alien it's you got to watch alien which is pretty cool Oh, yeah. So did your mom like (laughs) horror movies or she just liked that she watched them because of the people in them? Did she like have any kind of enjoyment with horror or like sci-fi or anything?
4: Not really. I mean, my dad is terrified (laughs) of horror movies. I mean, my dad fully admits that. Which is which is a Disney movie with um, Mirror Mirror on the Wall? Is that Sleeping Beauty? Snow White. Uh, Snow White. Snow White. Snow White. White, Thank you. Yes. Um, Snow White. That whole scene, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall and then that face appearing. Mm -hmm. My dad said that that was one of the most terrifying things he's ever seen. So he can never watch horror movies because that will absolutely (laughs) wreck him. (laughs) (laughs) My mom is a little bit more open minded. Like we went and saw Alien Resurrection in theaters when when it came out. Wow. Um, and and experience. she was, yeah, <laughs> and she was, she was great about a lot of that. But no, horror was definitely kind of my own, my own journey. Cool. And, and there was a lot of concern from my parents. Uh, there was a lot of pushback from my sister because she wanted to watch musicals for her mm-hmm. horror was something like little shop of horrors or she wa- you know the movie that kept getting played in the house and it's not horror at all but fiddler on the roof mm-hmm. and okay. so and because because she was sick the, my parents deferred to what she wanted right. so whenever i was watching something it was i want to watch something you have to turn it off and it it led to some uh, butting of heads, so to speak
2: I get that yeah. <laughs> I completely understand that yeah. um, Okay, so As an adult, if we're transitioning to being an adult What draws you yeah. to horror now? You know, it's interesting I People ask me,
4: even to this day Why do you like horror? Why do you watch it? And my go-to answer That I've kind of crafted And cultivated over years Of, of being in this world Is... Um, You know, I don't watch horror to see people die, although it's fucking awesome watching how they pull that off in a lot of films. (laughs) It's Um, true. um, I, I watch horror to see people fight to survive. And I think that's the most important thing is that no matter what, here are these people thrust into this awful situation and they are doing whatever it takes for another 10 seconds of life. And and I think there's something really, really inspiring about seeing people who realize how precious life is and that they will do anything to just enjoy even a little bit more time. And also, horror is just great. It's this malign genre that does so much and in so many interesting ways. And it isn't perfect, but nothing is. Uh, and it tries to tell really important stories through a lens that both amplifies it and kind of in a way puts a mask on it that you have Mm. to work to towards revealing. Right. So it's, it's just the ingenuity and the, the creativity and the passion. My God, the filmmakers who make horror are so passionate and I, I love them for that. So I think that's why to this day, I, you know, horror is what I
2: fall back on and what I adore.
3: Cool. Wow. Yeah. What a great way to put it.
2: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Uh, so do you get scared as an adult watching horror movies or, um, are you jaded like Mary Beth and I? It's, it's
4: really hard to scare me. I, I've seen so many horror films in so many different ways. Um, that it is it is really difficult to to make me scared um like for example uh, terrified on shutter everyone was talking about how it's such a terrifying and and scary movie and ariel and i watched it and there were some genuinely very creepy moments Mm -hmm. but at no point did i find myself actually scared but in contrast, a film that really, really hit me uh, within the past few years, I went to bed early one night. And because I have a really messed up sleep pattern, mm-hmm. if I go to bed early, I'm going to wake up just a few hours later. So I, I said, OK, I'm going to be an adult. I'm going to go to bed at 11, be asleep by 1130. thirty." And I did. And I woke up at three in the morning Ugh. and I was like, well, this is great because I'm not going back to sleep. And I'd just been sent a screener for a movie to review. And I was like, OK, let's let's go ahead and do this. So I'm in I'm in my bedroom. The the blinds are closed. The lights are off. I, I like to sleep in as dark a room as possible. So the room is basically pitch black. Turn on my laptop, put on my headphones. The only light is from the from my laptop monitor and I put on Gunjum, Haunted Asylum. Yes! <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: oh, fuck that movie. That'd be And that
4: movie. <laughs> no. <and> that, <movie, laughs> <laughs> <laughs> that movie at three in the morning uh-huh. in a pitch black room with really with good noise-canceling headphones. Oh, yes. Oh,
2: God.
4: Noise-canceling. That movie... I watch it, and when it ended, <laughs> I just sat there. I was like, "I'm
2: not moving until nope. the sun is coming through the blinds." <laughs> that God, movie yeah. is absolutely terrifying, and it has such good sound. So the sound like, is so I, good. Yes.
4: <sighs> uh, that's the whole point. I showed it to Ariel, and Ariel is uh, is very sensitive to like ASMR triggers Ooh, and sounds. Like okay. it actually creates a physical reaction. And I put it on. We watched it, and then that little thing that. <laughs> Yes!
0: yes that thing <laughs>
4: happened and she just started like shivering and convulsing. She was like, No, 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 no. And, I'm, and I am sitting here dying because one, it's still genuinely really effective at even the second and third time around. And just watching her was so exciting. Because I'm like, This is this is genuinely gonna scare you. She was like, Nah, I'm 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 fine, and we put it
2: on. Nope every person she was done <laughs> every person i've introduced that film to has had that reaction of like nope i'm done yep it's such and a it's, good movie
4: and it, another reason i love it is because when it starts i fucking hated all of them they were all like narcissistic youtube douchebags mm-hmm. and i couldn't stand them and then as the movie went on it did such a good job at making me go. Look, I may not like you, but holy shit, I don't want you to go through this. I want you to get out. <laughs>
3: exactly. Like this is Bad. terrible. I don't want, yes. I, I wish this fate on no one. <laughs> Please yeah,
4: leave. Absolutely yes, and so
2: so that was one that just genuinely, like, legitimately scared me. I can't imagine watching that at like three in the morning in your dark room because there are some moments where like the, this hands come up from behind the head. And it's like the things that yep. you don't see, but we see because it's the camera. That would fuck with me if I'm in this pitch black room at three in the morning listening on with noise, canceling uh, headphones. Be, and it's, it's too not much. Only-
4: it's not only what they show you that these characters can't see, it's what they show you that they linger oh, on. Yes. And, and they're like, let's not say, like that weird Silent Hill
3: body. In the room? In that, and in that the M- room. giant empty the, room, and it's like, this has to, I can't, I was like, I, this has to end, like, I can't do.
4: And then it slowly shuffles its way yes! past the pillar and gets right back there. I'm sitting here like...
1: I'm
4: gonna die this is how I die no 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 please this this is lingering for too long oh okay no why is it still going stop please do something (laughs) anything why are you still here I was I was losing it and then it and then it ran and I was like and I was like that's that's even worse why would you do such a thing
3: I would be so fucking good but it's yeah. maybe I'll watch that tonight (laughs) (laughs) Watch that
4: in a hot minute. After after all of this, scenario, it was terrifying. It was awful. I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch, watch it. it. <laughs> I'm
3: gonna watch
4: that. Um, but mental health.
3: Mental health. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! I had therapy today. It's fine. Mental health. Um, what, so what? What are some of your other horror favorites? that Not necessarily scare you, but that you've really enjoyed watching over the past couple. Like recently.
4: Recently, um oh, that's a great one. uh Ready or not, I think was <clears throat> just an absolute blast. Uh, I had a great time with that one. Uh, Relic. Relic yes. absolutely uh. wrecked me. Um, yes. Me too. You know, what a lot of people don't know is that uh, right before, and I'm talking like two weeks before the pandemic was officially announced, uh, I got a call from my mom and she said, your grandmother is on her deathbed. You need to, you need to get to her as soon as possible and she she was living in israel so this was like i needed to do a long flight um and so i you know i i got it i I got the ticket uh made the flight when it landed i pulled out my phone because my phone works internationally and i loaded up whatsapp and there was a message from my mother and it was uh your grandmother Passed away while you were oh, in the air. Oh fuck, um, Jonathan! So, I'm so sorry. So you're so we need you to to get to the city that's t- about two hours away as quickly as possible. And can you? And then, and, and here's the thing: there was a lot of trauma that was happening before all of that, so I couldn't really process my own feelings and deal with my grief and prepare to mourn. So, like, I land. I get this message and my mom is obviously devastated. And she, um, she asks me, can you please say some words in Jewish, uh, in, in our, in Jewish culture, uh, you say words at kind of the entrance to the cemetery. And then people carry the body from the entrance to the actual gravesite. Okay. So my mom asked me to say some words on behalf of our side of the family. So while we're in the car, I'm like, I don't have time to deal with the fact that my grandmother died. I'm writing wow. what needs to be said. And then we get there and my uncle comes up to me and says, we need six men to carry her body. Will you be one of the men? So I'm like, well, shit, you know, <laughs> when is this going to end? And, wow. uh, and then, um, jeez. and obviously my mom was, was a wreck. But anyways, I bring all of this up in, in relation to relic because uh, my grandmother died of dementia Jesus uh, you know and apparently the last couple of days of her uh, when she was around uh, was just spent screaming oh, and fuck. just oh my in god, agony um, and and I and I'm I feel both fortunate but also sad that I wasn't there for the for her during that time uh, so when Relic came around I was just a mess. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was wrecked. Um, and it's not just—it's not because of the subject matter alone. It's because it's such an expertly crafted film. Oh, it's yeah, so well done. Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember Ariel and I were watching it, and at one point, I—I I couldn't help myself. I just said, "I do not understand the geography of this house." And Ariel was like, what are you talking about? I was like, this house does not make sense. Something about how this house is laid out is not clicking in my mind. She's like, it's probably just weird, you know, camera angles. And I was like, no, there's something going on here. Lo and behold, five minutes later, suddenly the house was this crazed,
0: you know, Mm -hmm.
4: maze, this, this manifestation of her dementia and the confusion and everything. And Ariel was like, yeah, you nailed that. Like you, you saw that coming. And I was like, I kind of saw that coming. Um, but it's because that was still very fresh in my yeah. mind. So, yeah, that was definitely, you know, one of those movies that really stood out as of late. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I guess those are, I mean, I, I'm sure I can find find more. If you give me two seconds, I keep a spreadsheet of all the movies that I watch, when I watch them, my rating, like, if I have written a review, you know, links to that. So, like, I can definitely find, you know, all the, you know, all the movies that I've loved
3: so that's awesome though it's like because relic is such a is incredible and i know that we terry and i both enjoyed it immensely and Mm -hmm. it destroyed us both because that movie is horrifying and heartbreaking um but transitioning to your creative work and mental health yeah and your documentary that you're working on (laughs) um can you tell our listeners a little bit about the documentary that you are currently working on and fundraising for yeah
4: Yeah, absolutely. So the name is, the the current working title, I should say, is Mental Health and Horror, a documentary. And it is exactly, you know, what it sounds like. We are basically trying to demonstrate that horror can, and I want to emphasize that word, can versus will, uh, or does, for that matter. Horror can have a beneficial impact on those living with mental illnesses. Uh, and I want to be very clear, that doesn't mean that we're suggesting horror is a cure, or that horror is the only form of therapy that people should take, or that horror can work for those who don't enjoy it. That's not at all what we're saying. We're simply saying that there is this negative Stereotype around horror. There are all these stigmas that are attached to this genre from people who are almost proudly ignorant about what horror has to offer you know i don't watch horror because it's evil it's satanic it's awful you know it's misogynistic it's this and you know in in some cases they may be absolutely right but in the grand scheme of things they're not it's it's just like any generalization it is far more damaging than it is helpful or or accurate and so this this documentary really has two goals, one of which is to combat uh, moral panic and the negative stigmas kind of head on and almost go on the offensive in a weird way rather than, you know, be defensive about it. Um, and the second goal is to let that kid in the middle of nowhere who doesn't have access to good mental health resources and whose community doesn't really encourage or foster or appreciate a, even a casual appreciation of horror, I need that kid in the middle of nowhere to know that they are not alone, that there are people from all walks of life uh from every gender sexual identity uh ethnicity religion race whatever um that they are not alone that there are people out there who love what they love and who are going through what they're going through and that if we if we let them know they're not alone then hopefully hopefully they'll do a little bit better hopefully they'll be able to sleep just a little bit easier at night um knowing that they that even with all that they're enduring, that there is an out, that there is something that they can do, that there is hope. Wow.
2: Um. <laughs> I. So, I, I, how did you come up with this idea, or how did how did you get involved with this, or how did this all kind of coalesce into what it is? Because it's currently on Kickstarter yeah. for. Mm-hmm. When by the time this episode comes out, it'll we'll still have another week. So, listeners, go out and back it for sure. But, um. <laughs> How did this all kind of come together?
4: My relationship with mental health and mental illness is – has been a relationship for a long time. I mean, as I've explained everything about my childhood, there is definitely long-lasting – Effects from all of that. I'm I haven't been diagnosed with it, but I'm sure there's some form of PTSD that is assigned with that. Uh, I have been diagnosed with clinical depression. Uh, I do have seasonal affective disorder. Um, I there are a lot of events in my life that. Like, for example, uh, uh, this may seem weird, but like my birthday is not a good day for me and i'm still trying to figure out why mm. but like my during the pandemic when it was getting closer to my birthday i just started spiraling and mm. getting into a really really dark space to the point that you know people who were doing really thoughtful and wonderful things for me it, it i f- emotionally could not react no. how i knew i should have been reacting um You know, a birthday present for me last year was that a whole bunch of my friends uh, recorded themselves lip syncing to Depeche Mode's uh, Enjoy the Silence. And a friend of ours cut all them together into a makeshift music video. And it's and it's this and it's so wonderful. And it's so full of these, you know, it's these people that I love. These are my friends. These are people that I consider family. And, you know, looking back on it, I'm so touched. And I'm so appreciative. And at the time, you know, when it was shown to me, I just sat there completely stone faced. And and I actually felt worse because I couldn't react how I knew I should have reacted. So I was punishing myself. (laughs) So there's that. Um, And also, as I've spoken about openly, I am a survivor of an attempted suicide attempt. Uh, And so I have been dealing with mental health for mental illness for a very, very long time. And so I've always kind of tried to foster and nurture a discussion around that, but where the idea really came to, uh, to a point where I was like planning it out and writing notes and researching and, and documenting and everything like that, uh, was actually when, uh, when I was in Air, uh, when I was in Los Angeles with Ariel, and she was invited to be uh, one of the interviews for Sam Weinman's queer horror doc for Shutter, and so she did her whole thing, and I was waiting in the green room, and then I I came out and joined her when the director of Jawbreaker was uh, being interviewed and something about that experience we were just standing behind the camera something about it just clicked mm. i i had this epiphany and i i typically carry around a little um journal and a pen on me so that if I have an idea or if I need to take a note or I need to write down contact information or anything like that, I Mm -hmm. can. And I just went to the corner of the soundstage and I sat down and I started furiously scribbling down notes like page after page after page, just nonstop, just the floodgates opened. And we we got back to uh, to where we were staying and I started just writing down. I I put everything onto a, a Google Doc and started looking up potential talent and resources and papers and, and everything like that. And, uh, and then, and I was still working on that uh, several months later when the pandemic was announced. And I started talking to a few people about it and, and they all were like, yes, we want to be a part of this. And then I reached out to Andrew Hawkins, who at the time was with creator VC and had, and was working on the in search of darkness Mm -hmm. documentaries and I, I said, hey, you know, we've we've worked together in the past. I did one of the uh, In Search of Darkness uh, watch-alongs. Um, we've emailed frequently. Uh, and I, I really like, you know, how you go about things. I, I really appreciate your passion and dedication and and work ethic. And I wanted to present a documentary idea to you and hear your thoughts. And he said, okay, hit me. And I sent him that Google Doc. And 30 minutes later, he sent me a message simply saying, get on zoom. And he sent a link and he was like, we're doing this. Wow. We are making this happen. And I, and in my mind, I was like, okay, you know, that's, that's cool. Like, let's, <laughs> let's see what happens. <laughs> right. Uh, and suddenly like I was given a list of tasks, like you have to find an art director and an, and a director and an editor and all this stuff. And, um, and I started, you know, working with him and we were putting it all together and we were strategizing and, and getting all these things going. And, and then one day it hit me. I was like, oh my, Oh my god, we're doing this. <laughs> this is actually happening. Um and a funny story, I actually wasn't supposed to be the director. Um oh. this was it, it wasn't something that I ever envisioned. It was simply I thought that I, you know, came up with the idea and that I would produce it, but that would be the extent of my Uh, my role aside from being the person to actually do the interviews. Right. Uh, but the more and more that Andrew and I were talking, uh, the more and more I realized later that he was basically waiting for the right time to say, I think you, Jonathan (laughs) should be the director. And he, and he asked me and I said, I need to think about this. I really need to, uh, take the time with this. And what convinced me to take it on was that I realized Based on my work in, in journalism and writing, that typically the people who are interviewed the most for a project are going to be the director. You know, the director, the stars, then it's going to be like the writer and the producers, uh, but they're like a little bit lower. So if, if everyone's going to go to the director and ask them a whole bunch of questions, I realized that with a topic like this, that's very sensitive, that's very personal, that it could lead to the director being asked some really difficult questions questions Mm -hmm. uh, questions that put them on the spot right and if and the the thought that came in that made me go yep i have to direct this was if i can't expect myself to be put in that kind of a situation then how can i ask anyone else to do it for me yeah that's true and so that's that's what kind of led to me taking on this uh this role which is completely new to me and I have I have no ideas I'm kind of making <laughs> it up as I go along but uh, you know I luckily I have an incredible uh crew who is so supportive but is also unafraid to hold me accountable and that's so important to me that they that they aren't just Yes, people. Yeah, "Yeah, no, that's fine when it's really not. I need them to say that is a bad idea or there is a better way to do it to which I'm going to go, please tell me, educate me. Let's do this right. Because if with something that is this personal to me and is also so personal to so many people out there, as we have learned since announcing it, it needs to be done right. And that means I need to be told when I'm doing something wrong.
3: I'm really excited for this documentary. Thank you. I'm I'm very excited as well. And I'm equally terrified. You want to know what movie has scared me in the past few (laughs) years? It's this one that I'm making right now. The one that is my brainchild. It is the one that has scarred me for life forever. Um, But so how can our listeners support? I know that we talked about the Kickstarter, but is there anything else that anyone listening can do to support the documentary and making sure that it gets it gets out there?
4: Yeah, you know, I was asked that recently, and I feel so uncomfortable and awkward asking for people to pledge money. So what I ask is just share it, spread it Mm -hmm. around, put it on your social media, send it to your friends and family. And if they if they want to pledge, then we're beyond humbled and and appreciative. Uh, If they if those who received the link, then in turn, share it to others, then that's That's perfect. That's exactly what we're looking for. The main thing right now is, I mean, obviously raising funds will be fantastic. You know, we, we, we hit our goal, which is incredible, but you know, we, we, we explained anything that goes above the goal is going directly back into the film. It's going Mm -hmm. into our production. It's going into the travel that we will need to do to get the footage that we will need. Um, So anything that people want to contribute is going right back into the into the film. Um, But, yeah, it's just kind of awareness, I
2: think, is the
4: most important thing.
2: Cool. And listeners, if you check our show notes, we will have a link to the Kickstarter in it. So please share and do all that fun stuff. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you.
3: So we have talked about your horror history and your documentary. But Donovan, what? What episode of a show are we talking about today?
4: <laughs> I... I before I even say it, I just have to say I love that you came to me and you're like, all right, pick a movie. And I was like, no, all the all the good ones are taken. Like I looked at the list and I was like, oh, these are I would have done that. I would have done that. I would have done that. And then finally, I was like, so what did scare me as a kid? And then I remembered that something about the Darkwing Duck episode (laughs) Twin Beaks, not Peaks, but Beaks, Beaks. uh, just at that young age, just something about it, I sent shivers up and down my, my spine.
3: Okay, I'm going to read the synopsis, and we're going to give some context, because <laughs> I mean have absolutely no fucking idea about Darkwing Duck, so this has been, this is going to be a journey for a lot of us today, including myself. Let's do this. Okay, so just the fucking <laughs> plot synopsis, in Twin Beaks... Herb and Binky
0: Muddlefoot
2: (laughs) (laughs) What
4: about about this? Folks, we are professionals (laughs) Let's keep it together
3: Herb and Binky Muddlefoot go missing and the evidence leads to the mysterious town of Twin Beaks where nothing is what it seems
2: That is the IMDb plot synopsis for this. But boy, does that Mm -hmm. not tell you much of anything. Um, So I I guess before we do get into this episode, because I'm not sure. I, I know Mary Beth is not familiar at all with this property. It has been... Forever since I have watched this show, uh, and I have to say that you talking about this and, and suggesting this made me go down a rabbit hole of rewatching a bunch of episodes. I like have watched like six mm-hmm. or seven episodes since you suggested <laughs> this, and it was like going back down through memory lane. But um, yeah. what is your relationship to this show, Jonathan, uh, as a whole, and what can we kind of lead our listeners and Mary Beth to in, in terms of this of this show? <laughs> I mean my relationship with the show
4: is it's it's casual. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm a dark wing duck enthusiast <laughs> or a or a professional or an expert <laughs> in in dark wing duck mythology. <laughs> but like uh, but like any kid, you know, when I when I was young, uh I loved cartoons, and I, you know, I was that kid that raced home from elementary school to try and catch uh, the Sonic the Hedgehog cartoon, and, yeah. the, and Super Mario Brothers. Where every Friday, that's when they had the Legend of Zelda cartoon. That was the oh, best. My God, exactly. the Legend of the Zelda best.
3: cartoon. I own it on yep. DVD.
4: Well, excuse me, princess. Me, princess. <laughs> There were, there were these amazing cartoons. Um, you know, when I was growing up, Captain N, the Game Master, uh, you had Tales from the Crypt Keeper, which, mm-hmm. you know, that was a great one. And Darkwing Duck was one of those uh, cartoons that was just kind of uh, sort of ubiquitous at the time. Um, and, you know, I was watching that at the same time as I was able to stay up a little bit later and watch Ren and Stimpy, you know, all these things. So I... You know, I I was I was exposing myself to all these kinds of varying different uh, cartoons from
2: Looney Tunes to Pirates of the Dark Water and and everything else. (laughs) Pirates of the Dark Water. (laughs)
1: Yes. Oh, my God. I
2: had the I had the the hero ship from that as a toy. I loved my Pirates of the Dark Water toys. This is this episode on top
4: of being a fucking buzzkill to start off with is now becoming nostalgia memory lane <laughs> i mean that's pretty much what we do here we just go I down love a it. bunch of nostalgia I love it.
2: <laughs> so I, darkwing duck it aired from like 1991 to 1992 and it was sort of a spinoff of ducktales okay in a way, i was gonna ask like,
3: like what's the relationship to yep. ducktales and is he related pad, to i donald I, <laughs> was... I was like fuck yeah not Daffy Duck. <laughs> What's wrong with me? Not that young Jesus. I
4: I, I want to say there was a relationship, but I I can't remember. Well, Launchpad was in
2: both. Yes, and that's So like right. th- this sort of like because Duck t- uh, Ducktales ended, and then this kind of picked up like a year or so later, I think, and. It's a little confused as to whether this is supposed to be in the same world or a different universe. Because like later on in 2016, the creator said that this was like a different universe to Ducktales. But like, Mm -hmm. there's obvious connections between the two. Some characters from Ducktales end up showing up in some of the episodes here, and obviously Launch Launchpad is the connective tissue. But. God, that you—you you reminded me. You just
4: triggered a memory <laughs> of when I was playing the Ducktales NES game, and—and <sighs> and there would be Scrooge McDuck, McDuck boing, standing, boing, boing, on, boing. standing on standing on launchpad's plane as he flies you to the different levels, and somehow could fly you to the moon. But that's beside the point. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, Darkwing Duck is—it's kind of like the. It's Batman meets DuckTales.
2: Yeah, it's actually like, because um, the, the the parody, a lot of it is with The Shadow. Um yes. Because like The Shadow, his his alter ego was Kent Allard and this guy's alter ego is Drake Mallard. So like there's obvious it's obviously like a parody of a lot of superhero stuff, but it also does pull in a lot of genre, like the titles mm-hmm. of, of of episodes. There's like uh, Night of the Living Spud, which is about like a vampiric potato that ends up feasting on a bunch of campers. There's Beauty and the Beat, which is where we get introduced to or uh, Bushroot? Bushroot. Bushroot, who is yep. the character in this <laughs> so one. So he's a
3: legitimate mutant-duck-plant <laughs> hybrid.
2: Yes, he was a duck scientist okay. who was exploring photosynthesis and trying to make it so that so the ducks could feed themselves off of the sun and he ended up testing on himself all of the fly and ends up becoming a plant and it's almost like baby's first body horror because he starts to like grow things out of his body and it starts turning green I a little and stuff bit of that
3: shit in this episode so i can imagine okay okay yep. okay
2: it also yeah. embraced death in a, in a very interesting way for a disney cartoon because like characters die uh his he he has Gosselin, his the, his like adoptive daughter, who her grand, who like a grandfather, and her grandfather was murdered by a criminal. And there's like death and violence at one point. Bushroot is moving a mower, oh, like he's gonna mow over the head of Dark Darkwing. So there's like a lot of violence in this show, and not just like the Looney Tune cartoon violence, like threat of actual death. It's it's when Disney was cool. Because yeah, yeah.
0: was
3: edgy, and, like wasn't scared to make a lot of grown up references. Because I was going to say, like, yeah. this episode had a lot of very like adult stuff going on, especially Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not a children's yep. show, in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> and, Twin Peaks.
4: And that's the thing is, it was you know, Twin Peaks was enormous. It was the water cooler yeah. show mm-hmm. when it was airing, so everyone was referencing it, um, and. And the funny thing is, I was actually watching a lot of Twin Peaks when I was when I was younger, oh. and weirdly that di- that didn't scare me. It didn't scare me as much, especially the first season, because the first season really isn't all that supernatural. It's only kind of in the second one where it starts getting really weird. Um, but yeah, you know, I I I I've loved Twin Peaks from a from a young age, and then this episode decided to lean into the kind of horror and creepiness but in a way for kids.
2: And yet I was, I was a kid. So it it worked. Yeah. It it definitely freaked me out. So let's continue with that. So how old were you when you saw this episode? How did you see this episode? Were you familiar with Darkwing Duck at the time, or did you just stumble upon this? Give us your horror story about Twin Beaks. Yeah. So I,
4: I don't know when the airing date was, if it was in 91 or 92, but I would have been, Anywhere from six to eight years old. Okay. Uh, when this would have aired. November would 7th, w- 1991, it looks like. Okay, then I would have been seven years old. And I know that I watched it when it aired because pretty early on in the 90s, my parents thought that I was addicted to television. So, they just they cut the cord in every way. So, from about nine or ten, we had nothing. Oh, wow. And... And at first I was, you know, obviously devastated. Now I don't have cable TV. I haven't had cable TV or anything like that ever. I, uh, You know, my uh, Comcast keeps calling me, do you want to upgrade? No, <laughs> never. Uh, but yeah, so I watched it, you know, at seven years old. And, and it just, something about it. Again, that was right around the time. It was either in the end stages of when my sister was going through her, uh, through her brain cancer, or, like, right after. So there was just so much that I had been working through and so much that I'd been dealing with, and then this episode comes along... And they they really lean into it. Like it's creepy music that is very heavily influenced by Angelo Bottolamenti's score. It's, you know, the the full moon behind trees and imposing mountains with their twin beaks, <laughs> uh kind of looking over the land and this weird mix of Twin Peaks and Invasion of the Body Snatchers with little nods to Little Shop of Horrors and even Fantasia. There's that nightmare sequence. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that Chernobog thing comes out. Uh, and there's also this weird uh, kind of element of X-Files going on as well. It's just this, it is a pure love letter to all of the sci-fi and horror that was coming out around then. Yeah.
3: Sure was. I was like, is every episode <laughs> like this, like this is a lot, like a lot of homage going on right now. A lot of it. Um, like what, what? So it, the episode scared you, but like, what were the after effects of that? So like, how did that fear kind of manifest after watching it?
4: You know, I don't remember necessarily how it manifested after. I just remember that I I remember seeing bush roots desiccated. Uh, vegetal corpse wrapped in plastic uh, and even standing in you know <laughs> his corpse just standing in the jail cell like okay if his body had fallen over or was on the bed or on the ground or something like okay that's that would be creepy but it's standing up this husk is still upright like something about
2: that his mouth agape his eyes like empty like there's nothing there it's like it's terror it's terrifying i i have not watched this show in forever and if someone had asked me hey what was darkwing duck about i would be like it's about a caped crusader and that's all i would be able to tell you but the moment that i saw his desiccated corpse staring out the jail cell i was like Oh, wow. This is all like coming all the way back to me as being like a, I would have been 10 when this came out. So mm-hmm. th- watching this as a 10 year old and just being like taking all of this horror in in a in a cartoon that is airing on ABC in this on Saturday mornings, I believe is when I saw it. I think so. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was one of those things where,
4: and that's the other thing is it was Saturday mornings. This episode comes up. It's a beautiful, you know, sunny, sunny day. I mean, it's November and, you know, but it's still like bright, you know, the mm-hmm. clouds aren't covering the sky. And so it's, it's early in the day the tr the birds are chirping, you know, everything's picturesque for a you know f- midwestern fall day and this episode comes on and i'm sitting here noping the fuck out and i was like no <laughs> i need to like get away from this this is
2: weird this is creepy this is not what i was expecting no and it wasn't what i was expecting Rewatching it uh, some gosh how for 30 years later i still i'm like what even is this this episode is it's bizarre it's a bizarre episode <laughs> It's it's definitely one of those things where we think back
4: like, yeah, us us kids were kind of exposed to some some really edgy and like an adult stuff. Uh I mean that's not to take away from what kids are, are dealing with now and, and what they're watching. I, I I mean, I'll be honest, I don't know. Um but it was this was something that I'm willing to bet if a lot of parents watched it, they would have been like I don't know how I feel about this, this
2: no, no Disney. <laughs> yeah, well, it's that kind of mix of like surrealness because this is a very surreal episode, which again mm-hmm. makes sense because it's homaging Twin Peaks. But like it's it's that mix of surreal uh, imagery, it, particularly in that dream sequence and these weird things that happen. And you're like, why is this even happening? Why? Why are two people throwing the desiccated body wrapped in plastic <laughs> of Bushroot <laughs> over a waterfall? Like what is even happening here in this kids show that is airing on fucking ABC? And
4: and they and then they try and lighten it up by having alien cows? <laughs> yes. And their whole mission yes. and it's it's again it's and the funny thing is th- those cows themselves are Are kind of a a nod and a reference to something that was very big because they say they come from Planet Larson. Okay. So I was like, oh, Oh, is that supposed to
3: be Gary Larson from the Farsight Gallery?
4: (gasps) Gary Larson from Farsight, yeah. Because he loved loved using cows in his comics. I was trying to figure out what that was. I was like,
3: Larson is such a specific weird thing that has to be a reference to something. And it just hit me that that is Gary.
4: Yeah. And that's the thing, like this show, at least. You know, you know, uh, Terry, you watched more episodes. I watched the, the Twin Beaks episode to kind of refresh myself, but you watched more of it. So but that's I'm, I'm wondering in the other episodes, were they just as kind of pop culture referential?
2: Oh, yeah. There was a lot of like yeah. uh, the, the one, the Night of the Living Spud. He it's it's um it, again, Bushroot, who is like the, the one of the big five villains for. For Darkwing. He is uh trying to make a bride. And so he's like, She's alive, and like do definitely doing like Bride of Frankenstein type stuff. And it's it's this kind of telling the story where they're looking for big web foot instead of Bigfoot. And <laughs> and they're like telling the story about this giant potato that sucks the the blood, I guess, out of people, and then they start to like grow like roots out of their head. Like there's there's so many different Horror homages to it, as well as like just regular pop culture stuff. That because uh, the the very first episode of Bushroot is introduced, it has this sort of like the fly reference to it, where he's testing on himself, but mm-hmm. it's also Beauty yep. and the Beast, and it's the kind of tale of that because he's the Bushroot's in love with his a female scientist that doesn't really get him, and so he, it's just there's a lot of that kind of stuff that's going on here that it's actually quite should I watch Darkwing uh, Duck quite smart. <laughs> I wonder, I
4: wonder, Terry, you know, in Night of Living Spud, I wonder if the vampire potato was in a weird way, an homage or reference to, I don't know if you remember this book. <gasps> I
2: was thinking that the entire
4: time. <laughs> I was, time. Also it was, thinking
3: your... Benicula, I was like, cuz was my fate, was my shit when I was growing. I love nice. Benicula.
2: Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I wow. it, it, there's there's a lot of Incredible. that in here that I, I think that the the creators of this and the writers of this are definitely like tapping into this I think this one goes a little bit harder than some of the other ones. I think they're more of like a we're just gonna grab all the stuff and kind of throw it together, whereas this one yeah. it feels yeah. like a very uh particular homage to Twin Twin it's, Peaks.
3: It's interesting what they choose from Twin Peaks too. Like they the score is almost yeah. exactly like the opening score. Um, Which is very Mm. bizarre And the fact that they have Bushroot wrapped in plastic So Laura Palmer, who is like The the dead girl of the show Is found at the beginning wrapped in plastic And like her corpse is like Kickstarts all these events Which is like a very dark thing And the fact that they have That homage to her corpse Wrapped in plastic As one of like the anchoring references Is And throws it down a waterfall
4: and, and then, you know, the uh, the Norma character at yes, the, at the uh, is also is also, is also a mix of Norma and Nadine. It's so
3: bizarre. So at the in the cafe, the cafe, the diner, which is our diner is like the Twin Peaks diner. And the, I obviously have a diner that has good coffee and pie in this one. Yep. The like the, the, the quintessential Twin Peaks reference, I feel like, is good coffee and pie at a weird diner.
0: Mm-hmm. They
3: have the main server have an eye patch and the eye patch is a reference to one of the the weirder characters of Twin Twin Peaks, Nadine, who bumps her head, thinks that she's a high school cheerleader, has an eye patch, wants to invent silent window runners... And she is just like. Wait. wait what,
2: I, Jonathan, I, I've never seen Twin Twin Peaks before. I've seen like maybe three episodes of the first season. And that all is. All of this is legit. This is all legit. And it is crazy.
4: And it is delightful. Yep. And it is one of my favorite things on Like it is legitimately.
3: Planet. And like sh- her character really doesn't have much. Like kind of exists outside of the more supernatural stuff. Like she is kind of like her own weird character. But she's.
4: Well, don't forget that she's also super strong. She is. Like she bends yes. the arm of a rowing machine and throws that that uh, that male cheerleader, or was he a football player? Football player, because she thinks it's... Yep. him. Yep, it's it is what? Terry. The look on your <laughs> face is. Incredible. That is, which is like, so, but that's why
3: I thought the reference was so funny because obviously you have like Norma as the owner of the diner and there's like the server mm-hmm. in the diner, but then with the eye patch. I'm like, why the Like, I love it's like the Rogue Nadine reference because it has like, it just because they can. It makes no like, it's sense. It's incredible. Like, yeah. she has an eye patch. It's definitely Nadine, but like at the same time, like there's no need for it to be. But at the same time, I also love it because like no one references her because her character <laughs> is just like wacky. And she's incredible, and, but
4: yeah. And then Launchpad, and Launchpad twice makes Twin Peaks references. Where one time he's like, uh, "The cows are Team. not what they seem," and I'm like, "Yes, the owls, except now they're cows." Yeah. And then uh, the, the log gave the me directions. Log, yes, and,
3: Terry, and this is all legitimate.
4: Oh, this, this Terry. So
3: cows are not in the original Twin <laughs> Peaks; it's owls. Um, yep. and then okay. the
4: owls are not what they log seem. Log
3: Lady, who is. My personal Jesus Christ Ooh. has a log <laughs> that she talks to that has a psychic connection to another dimension, and the log communicates these things through a psychic connection with this log.
4: Yes, my it's log something has something you. to tell you,
3: and she carries it around. <laughs> I I was log lady for Halloween one year, and I have a log I crocheted and carried around a party, and like had it, I whispered, it whispered to me, and I would tell people things at the party.
4: I love this. Uh, Terry, none of this is an exaggeration. none of this is a fabrication what? and and the best thing uh, the best thing of all of this, all of what we're saying is actually the more
2: normal parts of Peaks.
3: <laughs> that's yep. yep
2: yep, what the absolute fuck
3: it's incredible it's it incredible, I and am... that's why I was so glad you picked this because I was like i i am going to i can only assume this is going to be a twin peaks homage episode if it's not i'm going to be very mad and so
4: it's very oh, exciting yeah. and then you watch it and you were like it's everything
2: i wanted it's literally and an episode of twin
3: peaks with ducks and cabbages yep
2: <laughs> i was gonna ask is is
3: the cabbage no. anything nah not the no.
2: like no. I questions no. of like, these questions no. of like What's up with the coleslaw? What's up with the cabbage? Is this part of tw- – like, I, I had all these <laughs> questions about what, if, what yeah. part of this is an homage, What part of it is not. <laughs> so, as we said, uh, the cows are not what they seem. The law
4: gave me directions. The town of Twin Beaks, the diner, uh, the server who is Nadine and Norma combined. Yeah. All of those are Twin, twin Peaks, and I'm sure – and the soundtrack. And there's probably more that I'm not thinking off the top of my head. But from there... And beetroot's uh, body
3: wrapped in plastic. Or bushroot's body wrapped in plastic. Yes, wrapped in plastic.
4: Yes, bushroot wrapped in plastic is very Twin Peaks. Yeah. Uh, It's the core of it. Um, But then the cabbages and the kind of these clones that are popping out, that's just straight invasion of the body snatchers. That is not in Twin Peaks. There is this element of a doppelganger in Twin Peaks, but it's not done in this way. Okay. You know, how you see it in Twin Peaks is a completely different uh, representation in Twin Peaks. Okay.
3: But, like, I could see this being terrifying to a kid, especially the nightmare sequences, like, the nightmare sequence when he's being chased by cabbages. The log has legs and is running around him. The giant <laughs> Chernabog figure, like, jumps up, and it, it's just this very surreal imagery. The
4: huge cabbage with sharp yeah. teeth chomping it's away. It's just, like, a lot of, yeah. like,
3: super... Surrealist imagery. That looks like Fantasia and reminds me of the Looney tunes original Looney Tune stuff where they have these like really like phantasmagorical fucking weird images for kids, but you're also like, this is a lot of surrealist stuff happening all at one time. That is like an assault on the senses.
2: It kind of reminded me a little bit of Dumbo when Dumbo has like the, the pink elephant song parade going yes. through like the That's what it kind of reminded me of, just sort of like we are Fully embracing the lunacy of what is happening here. And I what I I guess what I really liked as an adult watching this is this you have because Darkwing Duck is is always about he's kind of the 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 Sherlock Holmes, the like, we have to find logic and clues and deduction, and by all of this stuff, mm-hmm. we're going to solve things. But as he starts getting pulled into the mystery of Twin Beaks, Nothing that that nothing makes sense, and so everything that he's like trying yeah. to come up with ends up getting turned on himself. And I love the point where he thinks he finally gets it, where he's like, "Aha! The cows make milk. Milk goes bad. The coffee is bad. Bushroot's bad. You see, it all connects." And everyone's like, <laughs> "What are you even talking about?" It's this idea that he has to try to make sense of the situation that is completely illogical and complete makes absolutely no sense. And the fact that LP, this kind of, he's always portrays kind of the buffoon and the the dumb sidekick to him is the one that's inadvertently solving everything. It's just it's it's kind of adds to that sort of like we're in this place and nothing is as what it seems. We can
3: get psychic access and to the ones with the less they're more open, <laughs> empty minds. Oh, you, I, you know,
4: and I think that the way that you're describing it in a in a sort of way, you can kind of see that with. Uh, Special Agent Dale Cooper and uh, Andy, uh, Sheriff Deputy Andy, uh, uh... because you know Kyle McLaughlin Mac- is is very very open to to unorthodox investigative mm-hmm. techniques. I mean, there's there's this whole episode where he goes out into the woods and he's throwing rocks at uh, at a glass bottle to determine who is the main suspect, and you're like, this is outrageous this <laughs> makes no sense it's not based on evidence there's nothing going on but it but something about how it's done is really incredible i mean the, the, the scene that i'm talking about it's so surreal and crazy because they have this whiteboard in the middle of the forest and special agent dale cooper says before we embark on this i need to tell you about and then he flips it over and it's about, he goes nepal and he smacks <laughs> a pointer against the map and he's like let me tell you about nepal and it's like what is going on here <clears throat> but Incredible. Uh, but he is uh, unlike <laughs> unlike darkwing who is solely about logic and deducing facts and and using evidence dale cooper is both he is looking for evidence he's looking for clues he's part of you know autopsies to find information but he's also very open to unorthodox techniques meanwhile andy Andy is Launchpad. He is a lovable buffoon mm. with not a lot going on between his ears, but by God, is he the sweetest person imaginable? And yet, something about Andy is so connected to how Twin Peaks operates that whenever Andy is onto something, it needs to be heated very carefully. Mm. And you really need to pay attention to him, even if this is the kind of guy who... In the, in the series, steps on a wooden board, and it flies up and hits him in the face. And he's kind of stumbling around with a little bit of a nosebleed. And here's Dale Cooper, like, you found some boots. Good job, Andy. And he's sitting there like, yay. Uh, uh, hey. like, that's
3: exactly like, what that's, Andy is like. Andy. That is exactly. Just a charming and, and so, idiot.
4: Just, yes, absolutely. That is the perfect description of Andy. But like, so the way you described this episode and how it kind of puts Darkwing in this uncomfortable position, in this place where all of his tactics and all of his methods are thrown out the window, you know, I I really think that there is that that in a way is itself an homage to twin peaks and it's also this really it's also this really important lesson for a lot of kids that here's this character that they've been watching and they've been loving and they've been seeing him use facts and logic as you said he's a sherlock holmes um and then he's put in a situation where none of that works and he has to adapt and he has to realize that others that other methods can be right and i think that's a really incredible lesson
2: yeah, because I, I love I love how the episode sort of starts out with him being incredulous that Launchpad is is you know studying psychics and and that kind of stuff, and he's wearing this weird pyramid on his head, yeah. and he's using a dowsing rod, and he's doing all of these like things that are so far away from that deductive reasoning and yet he He is lands a plane with a blindfold on
4: correction he (laughs) crashes the plane with a blindfold on
2: but it lands so nicely (laughs) in the trees
4: (laughs) best landing yet
2: and i and i love when 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 launchpad just sort of wanders off and goes to talk commune with the cows and finds the log that is ultimately bush root which I have questions about that, too. But he's, like, talking about, like, oh, we got to go to to the – we got to take – we got to go down this way, take that first left, go to the the, the diner and have a nice darn, you know, cup of coffee, although the cows say that the coffee is bad. And he's like, did the nice cow tell you that? He's like, don't be silly. The law gave me directions. And it's just (laughs) – it's just – it's so –
3: it's delightful. It made me laugh
2: so so much without even realizing that 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 in particular was again a Twin Peaks thing. I just thought, this is so fucking bizarre and I and I mm-hmm. love that this was a kid's television show. Yeah. Yep. What were, yep. what were your thoughts, Mary Beth, watching this for the first time, not knowing yeah. anything at all about Darkwing? I'm, I'm really curious about your thoughts. I was thoughts.
3: like, this feels like a Simpsons episode more than a kid's show to me. Like, I was okay. like, this feels like it's for adult. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask, like, this feels more <laughs> adult-oriented. Just because the references were so adult to me, and I wouldn't... Ha- like, it would have gone over my head as a kid. Like, I, you know, I would have looked at it more, like, at face value, but all of it would have gone completely over my head. And I was... I really enjoyed it. The voice actors I recognized from a lot of stuff. So I was like fixating Mm -hmm. on that. Yep. But I was just, I was really like thinking about how adult it was. That was what was really stuck out to me. And I was like, this does not seem like a kid's television show. I know a lot of kids shows are like that, but I was like, these animators really are very talented with how they sneak in, not even sneak in, just like make these blatant homages to adult horror stuff for kids, which I think is really cool. Mm -hmm. And I think, this got me thinking about how like oh horror is so scary and evil blah 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 but then like so many kids shows reference it all the time and there don't seem to be as many problems with that and it's like obviously horror is something that can be enjoyed by children which we all which we all know and it's just interesting how those two things are so closely related especially in the like the kids animation space and how these adults take their love of horror and make it kid friendly and make it kind of funny like and I was thinking about that a lot too and about how that relationship I think is way closer than a lot of people think in terms of horror and kids animation.
4: I I think you're really onto something. And I think it's fascinating to think about how for a lot of parents, horror for kids is acceptable because, you know, Halloween is acceptable and you want to do like child friendly, spooky things. That's totally fine. But the moment you start getting older and you start understanding how the world works and you start becoming your own kind of person, Uh, that's when horror suddenly becomes evil and something you have to Mm -hmm. avoid. Um, And it's it's this really interesting thing that, you know, here's this episode where Bushroot's body is wrapped in plastic and thrown off a waterfall, and a lot of parents were probably like, yeah, that's cute. They're, They're doing the Twin Peaks thing, which admittedly, Twin Peaks was so big that even kids... It knew about it and had some idea of what was going on. There was no way to avoid it. Right. But, you know, so I think that also played into why it was kind of acceptable simply because okay. there was no other way around yeah, it
3: i i love twin peaks but i obviously like i was born in 93 so i came to it much later than like when it was in like this like the water culture is like premiering every week so i didn't i don't think i knew that it was like i knew it was popular but i don't think i knew it was popular enough that like even kids kind of were aware of what it was because it seems so like yeah. weird and niche and culty now <laughs> So it's just interesting to hear that. Because I I knew it was on ABC, right? Like, the the first two seasons were on ABC. Like, they were on a pretty big network. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So.
4: Mm -hmm.
0: Interesting. Huh.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, Terry, you can probably speak to this as well. But the cast members were going on all the late night talk shows. There were, you know, magazine covers. You know, the ladies of Twin Peaks. Uh, You know, fashion played into that. Uh, It... It really was this un, undeniably massive thing that was ruined by expectations and demands um, before it, you know, before it kind of came into its own again, you know, t- you know, after a few years after it was canceled and it started becoming like a cult thing and it started living on and, and it wouldn't go away. It's one, of those, it's one of those rare TV series that somehow refuses to die no matter what happens. And, and I think the, the homages that were happening all over, like in Darkwing Duck, kind of fueled that. I think a lot of kids watched Twin Beaks and it stuck with them it resonated something about it really spoke to them and so then when they were old enough they started to get into twin peaks but obviously that was going to be years later so it it just kept having a life
2: beyond its own its own seasons right cool right now i do have a one final question though because i'm still at a loss as to why there were desiccated corpses of Bushroot everywhere. Why was it Why was there a corpse in this JSL? Why were they throwing his corpse over the waterfall? I realize, again, I'm trying to bring logic to an illogical town, an illogical situation, but it doesn't make sense to me as to why there are corpses of Bushroot. So,
4: I don't know why there are... A lot of corpses of bushroot. <laughs> I think that's – I think that's – I think the multitude is more of a nod to Invasion of the Body Snatchers. But the body being thrown over the waterfall wrapped in plastic, uh, you know, Laura Palmer's body right. was found basically right outside Pete Martel's house. Um in Twin Peaks, and it was wrapped in plastic. I don't think it was thrown over a waterfall. There, there is a waterfall is, in, the, in In, Twin in the Peaks. opening
3: scene, there's the iconic exactly. waterfall yep. shot.
4: Yeah, I do remember that. But I, I think yeah, I don't uh, think the
3: desiccated corpse had much I, to
4: do with Twin Peaks. No, I think I think the desiccated corpse was just to spook people. I think oh, the plastic itself
2: was the direct homage. Well, that was just to keep vegetables fresh. I love the, the gosselin. The, the puns. Oh, gosh. The plant puns in this. I, I only rob banks for seed money. You think I'm the only vegetable that <laughs> went bad? All the classiest timber eat here.
3: Wait. okay. <laughs> so quick many. question: it's The part where... He's like the bushroot has been our spy. And all of the like the, the corn stalks and pumpkins and shit come to life. Or is that like his power? Like is that his thing? Like- yeah,
2: his ability is is to commune with, with the okay. plants and control like, them. I feel like yeah. that's
3: probably it, but I would like to clarify question because I don't understand. Lend your me ears. Your, your ears.
4: <laughs> He's basically Seth Brundle meets poison ivy. Okay, mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> okay cool
2: pretty much. And the same yeah. thing with uh, let's get dangerous that is that is Darkwing Duck's catchphrase that he says in pretty much every episode. Okay, I figured it always like zooms mm-hmm. in he's like let's get dangerous. And then the the other thing that he always says I'm the terror that flaps in the night. Like th- those are, these are all things that he <laughs> is constantly saying that is again kind of a reference to the shadow where he's where the whole thing in, in the episode of the shadow is like who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men the shadow knows. So it's like Kind of taking that sort of self-aggrandizement that mm. the Darkwing is is guilty of as well. Which I'm just going to throw this out right now. The Alec Baldwin shadow movie fucking slaps. I haven't seen it since I was a kid seeing it in the movie theater. And my only reaction to it was my dad absolutely hated it because he, he grew up listening to the radio plays. And that <laughs> is like my only my only it uh, is it is worth revisiting. Okay.
4: It is actually a ton of fun.
2: I went to go look it up on IMDb because like, I was like, I'm pretty sure I saw this movie. And I was like, ah, Alec Baldwin. Yes, I did see this movie. And I'm pretty sure I saw oh, it in the yeah. movie theater because my dad was so excited to go see it. And he was so <laughs> disappointed. But that's my dad. Alas.
3: So do we want to give Darkwing Ducks episode Twin Beaks our ratings out of five?
2: Absolutely.
3: All right, Terry. Um, how many let's get dangerouses out of five. Do you give twin beings? I
2: say absolutely. But at the same time, I don't really know what to give this episode. (laughs) It's so, it's so wild. I, and I, you know, it brought me back to being a kid. I I, watching this again, we, we we barely even talked about the fact that the, the, the one scene that just like popped in my head was when, uh, Honker's family pulls up and holds up the,
3: Sorry, <laughs> the, the
2: cabbage and he's like, we couldn't do this harvest without you. And the cabbage unveils and it's like Honker staring back at him that like these moments have been seared in my brain without me even realizing what they were from until I rewatched this. I I think this is a great uh, a great example of what kids cartoons in the 90s and the late 80s used to do in terms of taking things that were adult and making them um, appropriate for kids eh, somewhat appropriate for kids because I, I do think that this it has some imagery in it that is like what the fuck was wrong with people showing this at 10 in the morning or whatever on abc uh okay so i think i think i would give it gosh i think i would give it three and a half let's get dangerous is, i'm going to cut that let's get and just cut it there. Um, what about you, Mary Beth? I have
3: to agree with that rating. Um, I had no context going into this. So I, I just like, did not know what the fuck to expect. But I had a great time. I want to watch my Darkwing Duck now. Uh, it was, I mean, I'm a Twin Peaks freak. So I was very excited for that. And I'm always so fascinated to see how kids' television takes horror stuff. Like, I always think about the Nosferatu clip in Spongebob where he's flipping the light switch Mm. on and off. And, like, I never understood it. And there is literally nothing to understand. It's just Nosferatu flipping the light switch on and off. Like, why? I love that shit. So, and watching this episode, it was just so cool to see how the writers were influenced by horror. And how they brought that into a kids' television show. And in such weird, fascinating ways. So... I mean, despite not having that nostalgia, I still really thought it was quite enjoyable. And it held up really well. animation is gorgeous. It's like, mm-hmm. looks really good. I was like, oh, th- this is not from that long ago. Mm-hmm. Looked great. I had a great time. I love the Nadine reference, because why the fuck would you reference Nadine? Only because you are a diehard Twin Peaks fan, and I respect the hell out of you. So I will give this three and a half Let's Get dangerous Uh What do
2: you, will you give the theme song?
3: <laughs> oh, God, the theme song.
2: When there's trouble, you call DW. <laughs>
3: All I could think about was Arthur, the show Arthur, because his in the show, Arthur, his sister's name was DW. So all I could think of oh. was his little sister. Um, I, yeah, it was a very... The, 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 the episode tone and the theme song were very strange <laughs> dichotomy and tension. So I was not sure what I was getting into. Yeah. But, That's fair. But Jonathan, you have the final word. How many Let's Get Dangerouses out of five do you give this episode of Darkwing Duck?
4: I mean, I wanted to just immediately say five Let's Get Dangerouses out of five Let's Get Dangerouses. But I'm going to go a little bit more than you guys. I'm going to go with four Let's Get Dangerouses. um, Because I really think that on top of being just a really entertaining episode and one that tugs at all of my horror loving heartstrings i think it's this really fascinating snapshot mm. of of early 90s late 80s pop culture and you know what was really big what was really exciting and important for for all of these people like like of all of the references the one that was so weird to me amidst everything else was the fact that they said uh, the cows were from Planet Larsen? Like, all of those you're referencing so many horror things, yep. and then randomly you're like, "And we're gonna throw in a Far Side nod."
2: Yeah,
4: and I and I love it, but at the same time, like, you know, the, I, I the the Far Side was so big at that time. Yeah. My dad, whenever we got the daily newspaper, my dad loved going to the comics to read Far Side and nothing else. All of the other comics, junk. Garbage, but Far Side, ah, it's clever. It is. It's actually funny. So, so I, you know, I grew up with a ton of Far Side. But that's the thing is, like, like I said, it it references Fantasia with Chernobog. It references Little Shop of Horrors, X Files, Far Side, Twin Peaks, Facial of so much. The shadow by virtue of it being Darkwing Duck, mm-hmm. um, it's it's just this really interesting snapshot of this pop culture wrapped in a kids show yeah. like of, of all audiences to do that for you're doing it for kids yeah on a on, on this program it, it's it's just mind-blowing and i love the audacity of it i love the just passion and as, as both of you said how the people who made this clearly loved what they were doing they knew what they were doing and they were just having a blast with it and i i just resonate with that so much so yeah four let's get dangerous. yeah
2: hell yeah love that <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you so much jonathan for joining us to talk about darkwing duck twin beaks uh where can listeners thank find you, you. <laughs> and what do you have that you'd like to share i mean uh, finding me is very
4: simple. I pretty much only use one social media platform, and that's Twitter. So you can just follow me at my name, at Jonathan Barkan. Uh, and in terms of what I would like to share, um, I mean, obviously there is the documentary, but you know what? I'm going to share a joke. Ooh, oh, This is joke. exciting. And and I'll be I'll be completely honest. I this is shamelessly stolen. From a relatively recent episode of uh, the last drive in thoughts about Joe Bob or not on, you know, to the side. This joke is genuinely I'm a fan of this joke. Um, Okay, so a horse goes into a bar, sits down at the counter and call and, you know, calls the bartender over. Bartender comes up. Hello there, horse. What can I get for you? And the horse goes, I'll take uh, I'll have uh, just just Give me a beer. Give me a huge beer. And the bartender says, oh, OK, OK, we we can we can do that. And he brings over the beer and the horse starts drinking and the bartender goes, you know what, horse? I have seen you come in here day after day for weeks and you always drink a lot. And I'm worried that you might be an alcoholic. Do you do you think you are? And the horse goes, I don't think I am. <laughs> Disappears. <laughs> Now You're laughing So I, I don't need to repeat it But for other people You know they, did, they didn't understand it So I had to repeat the joke And I had to explain That this joke was playing on uh, Descartes' philosophy of human existence I think therefore yeah, I, I am, am. And, and, and I could have explained all of that But I didn't want to put Descartes before the horse Bye It's over mental Mental health health. (laughs) (laughs) that is probably the only time I've told that joke and it started out with laughter and
2: ended with groans (laughs) Uh, oh Jonathan
3: alright listeners well uh, you heard from us and Jonathan here
2: (laughs) and
4: this episode is gonna be deleted (laughs)
3: darkwing duck did you like darkwing duck did you have no idea what the fuck we're talking about great let us know uh send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com or you can follow us on twitter um wow you can reach out to us directly on twitter i'm at mb mcandrews <laughs>
2: and i'm getting dreadful
1: that
3: joke broke my brain and i don't know how to do the outro that i've done for almost two years um and of course don't forget to follow the podcast on twitter at scar podcast
2: and please give us a review put a joke in there maybe yeah. you know please have fun
3: um thank you to eric power for our artwork thank you to sean keller for our music thank you everyone for listening please stay safe out there but most importantly stay creepy until next time.